The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our scripture reading this evening comes from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. Grab a seat. Good to see you guys. Happy 2021 to you. Who's excited for a new year, right? Yes. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, watched uh, Dick Clark rocking New Year with Ryan Seacrest, however many hosts there are now. Uh, and the whole theme is just like New Year. Like people were so pumped and it was hard not to just be like, yes, 2021. Here we are. Uh, good to be with you guys. Like uh, Cole said, and like we've been talking about, this is our very first weekly gathering as a church. And so we're really, really excited. We were doing the monthly worship thing through the fall, just trying to get our feet under us, trying to figure out COVID and what we should do and shouldn't do and have wisdom there and all of that. But we're super excited to uh, just go full steam ahead with masks and social distancing and all of that still in place, trying to be wise, but getting to gather together on a weekly basis. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, if I haven't said it, I think I did, but if we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I serve as the pastor here at Citizens. I want to give a quick update to you guys about our 2020 Christmas offering. So over the Advent season, we took an offering as a church that we wanted to send outside of our church to help spread the kingdom of God across our city, across our nation, and across our world, as well as to serve those who are vulnerable and oppressed and marginalized and just in need. And so uh, we had the goal as a church of raising $5,000 and I am super pumped to tell you that uh, as a church body, we raised $5,741. It's awesome. Yeah. Super, super excited about that. So we're going to be able to send some money to our friends at the Mission Church in Norfolk, Virginia, a church plant that was hit especially hard because of job loss among their members, as well as we're going to help and partner with two local organizations right here in Charlotte. So the first is we're going to be able to help out Second Harvest Food Bank. So if you've been following along at all with the news, you know that unemployment has skyrocketed because of this pandemic. And so they've been giving away, on average, 2 million more pounds of food every month in 2020 than they did in 2019. And so they were just like, we need help, we need more food, we need supplies. And so we're going to be able to serve them and help them out in that way. As well as we're going to be partnering with an organization on the east side of Charlotte called Foster Village that seeks to come around foster families as they love and serve foster children here in our city. So basically what Foster Village does, one of the uh, primary ways they serve is that if you are a foster family and you get a call that they have a placement for you, uh, it's a pretty quick turnaround. So they, you can go to Foster Village and they have all the supplies you need. They have uh, car seats and diapers and formula and just everything baby 101. And so we are actually going to take a look at their Amazon wish list and just lock them uh, and load and just give them tons of stuff uh, to be able to serve foster families in our city. And so super excited about that. Thank you for those of you that gave and gave generously. Uh, we know that this is something we want to do as a church continually is to look outside of our church for how we can be a force of good for the kingdom of God in our city, but also in our nation 
and in our world. I'm so super excited uh, to get to share that news with you all. Uh, you got a Bible? Hebrews 10. So we're going to be tonight. Hopefully you're there. Uh, if you're not, go ahead and get there. If you don't have a Bible but need a Bible, there are some on the rows. They have pretty blue covers. Feel free to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, if you're into that Bible, the page is going to be 584. 584. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Before we get there, let me do a little bit of setup for where we're going tonight. So uh, some of you guys know this about me, some of you don't, but here's a little fun fact. New Year's Eve is my favorite holiday, second to none. Like, it's just my favorite. It's not even close. Uh, some of you guys are like, as a pastor, that should, that's weird, right? Maybe it should be Christmas or Easter or something to do with Jesus, but no, I love New Year's Eve. I just do. I love it. My wife and I, Lindsay, we do the same thing every single year. So we go to Chili's, America's favorite restaurant, eight years running. It's my favorite tradition. We go home, we watch the ball drop. She falls asleep around 10. I wake her up at 11.55. She, in a half days, goes, Happy New Year, and then we go to bed at 12.01. It's wonderful. We do it every year, eight years running now. Uh, But I love New Year's Eve, and one of the reasons why I love New Year's Eve is because of that feeling of newness. Right? Because of that feeling of, with the turning of a page, like it's going to be new. This is a new year. It's a new number. We can go for it. And one of my favorite parts of this New Year's season that I've done for the past three or four years is leading up to the new year, I like to get away just by myself, usually to the mountains for a night or two, and I just spend time with God. I just ask the question, God, what do I need to grieve from this past year? What do I need to celebrate from this past year? What do you have for me in the year to come? And so I got the chance to do that a few weeks ago, just go to Asheville for the night and just be with the Lord and wrestle through all of this stuff. And as I was thinking about 2020 and the year that we've collectively walked through, and I was reading just different things about what the world as a whole has experienced, I I came across this poll by Gallup. They did this poll right at the end of November, early December, and they had folks self-rate their mental health at that time in 2020 as compared to 2019. So they had a bunch of folks self-rate, how, do you, how would you rate your mental health now, I think it was December 1st, 2020, as compared to December 1st, 2019. Now, as you would expect, across the board, everybody self-rated their mental health as lower, right? Didn't matter uh, if you were a man or a woman. Didn't matter if you were black, white, Hispanic. It didn't matter if you were poor or rich. It didn't matter if you were 25 or 55. Everybody across the board said, my mental health is worse this year than it was last year, except for one group. There was one group in particular that rated their mental health as better in 2020 as it was in 2019. And the defining factor of that group was that they met to worship weekly. That's it. I'll show you the the poll right here. You can see it on here. It's kind of a little bit blurry. But the number, the only thing, not even like close, the only thing where people self-rated their mental health as higher. Now, it's still not great. We're working on it. But the only one that rated their mental health higher was those who gathered together with the people of God to worship on a weekly basis. So as I was thinking about that study and I was thinking about the fact that this is our very first worship gathering that we're going to do on a weekly basis, I thought it'd be fitting to start our year by giving us as a church one challenge, one really simple, easy to know if you're following through or not challenge and application. And that's this, commit to gathering with church family this year. Commit to gathering with church family this year. This is the command we read at the end of our passage today, verses 24 and 25, Hebrews 10. Look at what it says. The author of Hebrews writes, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, don't neglect meeting together. Continue to do it. Commit yourself to it. Consider how you might do it. Encourage one another. Commit to gathering with other believers. That's our challenge for today. There's two primary ways we do this as a church. We call them citizens gathered and citizens scattered. So citizens gathered is what we're doing here each and every Sunday, where we gather together as a whole church and we worship Jesus. We sing songs to and about him. We hear God's word preached and read. We pray. We celebrate communion. That's citizens gathered. And then citizens scattered. We scatter throughout our week and throughout our city in small groups called community groups to live life together, to open the scriptures together, to encourage one another, confess sin, and pray for one another. And so my challenge for us as a church, and we're going to talk more about it in a second, but my challenge for us is as you look out over this coming year, you think about the hundred goals that you set or the zero goals that you set, my challenge for you is to have this be a priority in your life, to commit to gathering with the people of God. Commit to a local body of believers. Maybe not even us. Maybe you're new and you're a visitor and this is your first time. Welcome. We'd love to answer any questions you have about who we are or who Jesus is. Maybe this is not your church, but I would challenge you. Commit to a local body of believers that preach the gospel and love Jesus and love each other this year. So we're going today. I want to look at three things in particular. This is our kind of easy outline. Three things. We're going to look at the basis of our gathering, the purpose of our gathering, and the hope of our gathering, the basis of our gathering, the purpose of our gathering, and the hope of our gathering. Hebrews 10, I know Brooke already read it, but I'm going to read it for us one more time. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. It reads, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's talk about this together. Number one, the basis of our gathering, the basis of our gathering. So you'll notice the command that we're focusing on is at the end of this passage, but it's not where the author of Hebrews starts. He's going to start first and foremost with Christ. Look back at 19 through 22. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So for the majority of the first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews, the author is trying to make a case for why you can trust Jesus why he is the one that the the Jewish people were expecting, why he is the one that has accomplished their forgiveness of sins, why he is the one that gives them a way to be made right with God. And you get to 19 through 22 of chapter 10, and it's kind of a summary statement. It's kind of a, a summation of everything he has said up until that point. But to understand the weight of it, you have to understand a little bit about the Jewish sacrificial and priestly system. So throughout the Old Testament, Even as early as Genesis 3 and 4, you have examples and stories of Old Testament characters giving various sacrifices and offerings to God. 
After God led his people out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, the 10 plagues, all that craziness. In the book of Leviticus, he outlines for the Jewish people a system of various offerings. There are burnt offerings and grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, all these different types of offerings. And there were specifics about each one, who should do it and when they should do it and how they should do it. But there were kind of a basic outline that was true of all the different types of offerings that God gave to his people to do. There was first blood that needed to be shed. So a sacrifice had to be made. There was a priest, someone who would serve as a mediator or a go-between between the person and God. There was a substitution, right? So there was a guilty party and someone or something had to get in the place of the one who deserved the punishment. And fourth, there was atonement that had to be made. A guilty person who was really guilty had to be forgiven and absolved of their guilt. And all of this had to do with answering the question, how can an unholy people dwell in the presence of a holy God? That was the whole purpose of that sacrificial system. How can an unholy people dwell in the presence of a holy God? There were different sacrifices made in different ways, but there was one particular sacrifice that is important for you to know in light of this passage, and that's outlined for the Jewish people in Leviticus 16. This is the sacrifice that was made on a day called the Day of Atonement. So on this day, the high priest, who was above all the other priests, would enter into a part of the temple called the Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And this was where the manifest presence of God dwelt among the Jewish people. And on this day of atonement, the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people that entire year. So it was one person, the high priest, once a year, in the blood of a bull or a goat. But the author of Hebrews in chapter 8, verse 5 is going to say this. He says, these things, these good sacrifices, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. I should stay with me. So this whole system that God gave to his Jewish people, a good system for their good to make them be able to dwell in the presence of a holy God, even though they were sinful. The author of Hebrews says that was good, but that was just a foretaste. That was just a foreshadowing of the goodness that was to come in Jesus. And Jesus comes. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand he is the one they've been waiting for. He is the great high priest. He is the perfect one-time sacrifice. He is the one who shed his blood. He is the one who tore his flesh, which is the curtain torn in tooth that was separating God and man. So Hebrews tells us, what can we do? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Think about the craziness of that. Because of Jesus, you can draw near to God. And in our Christian circles and in our Christian culture of Charlotte, it's easy to forget that. It's easy to to kind of minimize God or or bring him down to something that's like, oh yeah, of course I can, but you can actually be in the presence of God because of Jesus. And this is the basis of our gathering as the people of God. Just like everything else we do in the Christian life, everything else you do as a follower of Jesus, just like that, our gathering starts first and foremost with God. We don't gather to try to earn some more of God's approval. We don't gather to try to pat ourselves on the back or feel good. We don't gather because the Panthers are terrible and we have nothing else to do on a Sunday. We gather because God first gathered us to himself. We gather together because God brought us to him as sons and daughters, but also brought us to one another as the family of God. So the author, if he was just trying to get us to understand, Jesus has come. He's the great high priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. So you can enter and draw near to God. You can hold fast to your confession of hope. And also in light of what Jesus has done, do not neglect meeting together. That's what he's trying to get us to see is that Jesus has died and he's risen again and he's made a way for us to be made right with God, but also with one another. 
So we can't neglect that. The basis of our gathering, to put it simply, the basis of our gathering is the sacrifice and mediation of Jesus. That he died one time, once and for all, for the forgiveness of sins, and now he stands between us and God, pleading on our behalf. That's number one, the basis. Number two, the purpose. The purpose of our gathering. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So another kind of mega theme throughout the book of Hebrews is the idea of assurance and perseverance. The author of Hebrews is trying to get these people to understand that because Jesus is the great high priest, the one-time sacrifice for sins, that they need to hold fast to him. They need to hold fast to this gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can't separate out verses 23 through 24 and 25. He's trying to tie this idea together. So he's saying, hold fast to the confession of our hope. Hold fast to Jesus. But that is not something that you do on your own. He's linking these two ideas together. He says, let's not neglect meeting together as the people of God. Why? So that we can hold fast together to Jesus. So we can stir up one another to love and good works. Not growing tired or bored or lazy or apathetic, but doing it more and more. The purpose of our gathering is to help each other hold on to Christ. The purpose of our gathering is to help us persevere in our faith and not just persevere and get by, but actually learn to live lives of flourishing with God and with others. The Bible is clear. God will keep all those he saves. Right? When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, he now lives and dwells in you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about it more this spring when we preach on Ephesians, but one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be a seal of our salvation. It means if you're in Christ, it's a done deal. You will stay in Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. But there's a tension in the scriptures that while God keeps those who are his, we are still called to actively persevere. We're still called to hold fast to Christ, even while he holds fast to us. One of the ways Hebrews says we do that is through the God-given gift of community. This is a two-way street. You help me hold on to Christ, and I help you hold on to Christ. It's a both and. What I want you to see is that you need other Christians, and other Christians need you. Let's talk about that for a second. You need other Christians. You need other Christians. Think about it for a second. Think about all of the lies and doubts you had even just over the past week. Not just about God, about you, about who you are, your identity in him. Think about all the sin you're tempted to chase after on a daily basis. Think about the suffering, the very real hurt and pain you went through over the past year, past month. Think about the ways you've considered just kind of throwing in the towel on this whole Jesus thing. You need other Christians. To make it in the Christian life, to get to glory, you need the Holy Spirit and you need other believers. And not in a sort of like generic, like we do way where it's like, yeah, I live in community. Check out my Instagram photos. We like each other. Yay. Like I'm talking about like real community. You know what I mean? Like life reorienting community. Like community where we learn to actually go, my life is not about me. My time is not about me. My desires and preferences are not about me, but rather I'm going to submit my life and even my good for the good of others. Community that learns to say, like Jesus invites us to, that we're going to die to ourselves and live for the good of others and the glory of God. 
life-reorienting community. And listen, this is not the norm in our culture, right? This is not normal. And I'm not even talking like culture of the world. I'm talking Christian culture. This is not the norm. Individualism is rampant in the church. It's all over the place. This idea that it's just me and God and so I'm good. This idea of, well, I don't need anybody. I got Jesus. I got my Bible. I'm good. And, and listen, there are certainly aspects of the Christian life that are private. Absolutely. You need personal time with God. You need to get with him and get with his word. You need to pray. You need to experience rest and retreat and personal renewal with God. And I want to say this clearly. The Bible has no category for a Lone Ranger Christian. It just doesn't. You can read from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find an idea where God says, hey, you should live by yourself and it's just you and me and so we're good. Christianity, by definition, is a community project. It is a thing we do together. That's what the goal of Hebrews is trying to say. He's trying to say, hey, do not neglect meeting together. You need each other. You need the encouragement that one another bring. To say, I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. It's just me and God. I don't even like the church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Just throw out the church, but think you can follow God is both anti-God's design and will for your life. And it's also a one-way ticket to blowing up your faith. Just is. You live on an island. It will not go well for you. You need other believers. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago. I was on Facebook. Uh, I still use Facebook. This shows my age. And uh, one of those like friend suggestion things popped up. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, you need to add this person. So I clicked on the profile, not the ad friend, never ad friend, but I clicked on the profile, started stalking. And it was this guy that I went to high school with uh, back however many years ago. And so in order for you to understand this story, you have to understand my high school was this tiny little private Christian school. And when I say tiny, my graduating class was 18 people and we were the second largest in school history, right? So tiny, tiny, like 60 people in the whole school, everyone knew everyone. And so I clicked on this guy's profile. He was a few grades below me and looking at his profile led to looking at another guy that he was friends with and another guy and another guy. And I started noticing there was this friend group of about five of them. I started noticing this pattern in all of their Facebook pages. Every single one of them at some point in the near-ish past had denounced the faith and walked away from the church and actively were trying to post hatred and anger and resentment towards the church and the people of God. And I'm not saying this to hate on them. I'm not saying this to say, hey, their very probably real religious trauma is a thing and they need to process through it. I'm not saying any of that to try to run them through the mud. But as I was looking at their pages, I started to think about my friend Ryan. Ryan and I have been best friends for going on 14 or 15 years. And Ryan loves Jesus. He loves the local church. And Ryan loves me. And I started thinking about just the past 14 years of my life. And there's this marker in it continually that as I look back on it, God has continually used Ryan in my life for so many moments of perseverance in my faith. So I started thinking about the past 14 years. I started thinking about Waffle House runs in high school because that's what you do. <laughs> I started thinking about phone calls when Ryan was at Clemson and I was at South Carolina. I started even thinking about a few weeks ago over Thanksgiving break where we got to go and hang out for a few hours and how encouraging it was just to hear what God's doing in his life. And I just texted him and I was just like, hey, dude, uh, I'm so stinking grateful for the Holy Spirit and for you. And I started thinking about other people in my life. Started thinking about guys in college like Mason and David and people after college like Josh and Stuart and some women that in my life like Sarah. 
start thinking about these believers that God has used in my life. And I can honestly 100% tell you, I don't know that I'm here without them. And I don't mean here like preaching as a pastor. I mean like here as in like in a church, <laughs> loving Jesus. And my theology says that the Holy Spirit will keep me. I know that. But I don't know that I'm here without them. Listen, you need other Christians. Suffering is real. Sin is real. The enemy is real. You're not going to make it without the Holy Spirit and some believers in your life to help you. You need it. You need other believers who are going to encourage you and are going to hold up your arms when you can't anymore and are going to hug you when you need a hug and are going to pray for you when you need prayer and are going to encourage you with God's word even when you don't want to hear it. And we're just going to sit with you when you just need somebody to listen. Remind you of the goodness of Jesus, the gospel of our risen Savior. You need other Christians. But here's the reality. That idea can only take you so far. That idea that you need other Christians, at some point, you'll run off the edge. Because you'll have this utilitarian view where, hey, I need other people. But as soon as other people stop being beneficial to your walk with Jesus, you'll start cutting them out of your life and canceling them. So that idea can only take you so far. So you have to know the second piece. Not only do you need other Christians, other Christians also need you. Let me say this a little more directly, especially for those of you who are members here at Citizens. The people in this room that you call your church family need you. They need you. They're not going to make it without you. Look back at 24 and 25. This is what he says, two particular phrases. He says, stir up one another to love and good works and he says later on, encouraging one another. It's this one another. It's a two-way street. It's a give and receive. You need other Christians. Other Christians also need you. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Have you ever thought about how our church is less than without you? Like here in corporate worship, have you ever thought about how this is less than if you're not here? Like what encouragement you might bring to somebody's soul as they look over and see you worshiping and going for it? What praise or they might release and they might give to God if they look at you and they go, hey, I know the suffering they're going through. I know the hurt that they're experiencing. I know they didn't really want to be here tonight, but they're still here. Do you know what that does to their walk with Jesus? What encouragement that brings? Do you know how the Holy Spirit might use it? If I'm up here preaching and you're in the back like, amen, that little amen, how he might use that to bring conviction to somebody's soul in that moment with the truth they needed to hear. You might think like, I'm not serving. I'm not needed. No, you're wrong. You're needed here just by showing up, just by being ready to go. Have you ever thought about how your group is less than without you there? For those of you that are in community groups, do you ever think about, hey, if I don't show up, my group is going to miss out. I'm important. I'm needed. Have you ever thought about what prayer you might offer in your group that's not going to be offered if you're not there? Have you ever thought about that person that you would have been sitting across the circle from that's sharing what's going on in their life and in their soul, trying to be honest? Do you ever think about what encouragement you could have offered them that you can't offer because you're not there? Your group needs you. The people in this room need you. Other Christians need you. You need them and they need you. That's how we make it in the Christian life. If I can be honest for a second, I don't always want to go to my group on Tuesdays. My group's here. I can see where they're sitting. Sorry, guys. I love my group. I really do. And most Tuesdays I want to be there, but there's some Tuesdays where it's like, nah, uh-uh, phoning it in. I would much rather watch TV. I would much rather just, any, just sit, go to bed. I don't know. I just don't want to do it. And it's easy for us. We host. That's like the easiest way to show up. It's like I don't have to do anything. People just arrive at my house. There's some Tuesdays I want to do it. But in, this, in those moments, I got to remember, no, these people show up for me when I need them. And so I got to repent. I got to get before the Lord. And even if I don't want to, I need to because I need them and they need me tonight. My group is less than if I don't show up because I know our group is less than if they don't show up. 
And I need them and they need me. I've seen beautiful glimpses of this faithfulness in my group. I'm going to call them out. They might not like it, but it's fine. Uh, I've just seen beautiful examples of this. So I think about a guy in my group named Keenan who spends 12-hour days driving around delivering huge boxes of furniture and other large things that I don't fully understand for Amazon. And he still shows up every Tuesday night at 7, sometimes 6.30. We're working on it. I think about Michael and Rachel showing up, even though some nights Michael knows he's going to take an hour to get Caleb to fall asleep, and then you're going to have to wake him up again in an hour just to do it all over again when you get home, and yet you keep showing up. Think about Drew and Steph. These people work crazy hours. I think my job is hard. Their jobs are crazy. And yet they still go, no, seven to nine Tuesday nights, we're off. Even if we're going back to work. And a lot of times they do go back to work until who even knows what hour, but they still show up. Think about Esteban, who gets up at like, I don't know, what time, 3 a.m. or something like that to go do landscaping. He's falling asleep in group, but he's still there. kidding. He does great. Think about Jess. Jess gets in a car wreck and gets a concussion and she still comes to group. Maybe she shouldn't. We don't know, but, but she did. Listen to me. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I, there's other people in my group who show up faithfully. So if I didn't mention you, I'm sorry, but, but here's the thing. I can run after Jesus on that. Like I can do this for the long haul because of that. When I know that there's a million, most of them valid reasons for why they could have not shown up tonight, yet they still do, I can follow Jesus and persevere off of that. We need other Christians, but they also need you. You have to learn to go, my life is not about me, and these people need it if we're going to make it together. It's the purpose of our gathering. Last thing, the hope of our gathering. The hope of our gathering. Verse 24 and 25, one more time. Let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You notice in your English translation that word day is capitalized. The the author of Hebrews is is referring to this day in the future. We don't know when it's going to come, but we know it will. This day when Christ will return and he'll make all things new. They'll usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And, and here's the beautiful picture the Bible paints, is that heaven is not just you and Jesus. Heaven is a wonderful, beautiful community of all who trusted in Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation celebrating Jesus together. And that's what we get a little glimpse of every time we gather throughout the week and on Sundays. So if I can just say it straight up, if you don't like this, I don't know that you're really going to like heaven. I just don't. This is, this is a, a foretaste. This is a picture. This is a practice that we get to do where you for all eternity get to go, that guy, that Jesus, he's in charge, he's the king, and I get to worship him with a bunch of other people that think the same thing. That's eternity. That's the beautiful picture of eternity. And that's what we get to do every time we gather together. So we get to do that. We get to practice. We get little pictures of, hey, this is what heaven's going to be like. This is great. We get to worship with people that I love and celebrate a God that we love together. It's the hope of our gathering that one day Christ is going to return and we're going to get to do this forever. It's a good thing. Let me close with this. That's our one application for today. One application. Commit to gathering with church family. Like I said before, if if this is your church home, that's your charge here. Commit here. If it's not your church home, find a local church. We'd, We'd love for it to be here. Love to talk to you about that. But if not, find another church in our city that preaches the gospel, loves Jesus, and loves each other. Commit to it. Resolve to do it. One of the benefits of 
being at Citizens is that we meet on Sunday nights. So you can easily go out of town, go to the mountains, go to the beach, and then just be back by five. It's great. It's a win-win, works for everybody. But here's the thing. You've got to learn to, to reorient your schedule and your time or else it won't happen. You'll do what you plan for. You've got to make a plan, stick to it, set this as a goal. Go, no, I'm going to show up. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to be faithful in my presence and participation at gatherings on Sundays and in my group throughout the week. Let's close with communion. Every Sunday when we gather, we take communion. We have a little cup in front of you. You can grab that. It has a little wafer, which represents the body of Christ. And it has a little bit of grape juice, which represents his blood. And we remember every time we gather, right? The scriptures say that every time we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we're announcing and celebrating and remembering the Lord's death until he returns. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the only things we'd ask you not to participate in because you'd be saying something is true about yourself that's just not yet. But rather than taking communion, I invite you to take Christ, to believe and trust in him for forgiveness of sins and life eternal. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be down front afterward if you have any questions. But we're going to take communion and we're going to celebrate and worship King Jesus. And as we're doing that, I want you to imagine and get a glimpse and a foretaste of what eternity will be gathered with other believers celebrating and singing to Jesus without mass, hopefully, one day. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship and take communion together. God, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for Hebrews and so much of the beautiful picture it paints of Christ, who is our great high priest and our one-time sacrifice, who died once and rose once for the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. God, we're so grateful for that. Thanks that by believing in that, by trusting in that, by turning from our sin and putting our faith and hope in him, that we can actually enter into your presence. I pray that you would wow us with that this week, that we actually get to be with you. And Lord, I pray as we think about 2021 and, and all the things we're praying for and hoping for that you would do in our lives individually, but also in our church collectively, God, would you help us, each and every one of us, commit to gathering with your people, to showing up on Sundays when it's hard and when we don't want to, to showing up throughout the week when it's hard and we don't want to, to show up with presence and faithfulness. God, and would you bless that? God, as we show up, as we put ourselves out there, as we go for it, God, would you bless that? Would you send your spirit to breathe on that such that you would change us and mold us and grow us in love for you and love for one another because we were faithful to show up. And we need you in all of this, Lord. Love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.